Hello, and thanks for tuning in to the Grace Church of Ocala Sermon Podcast. We are equipping disciples who make disciples in Ocala, Florida. What follows is an audio recording from our Sunday morning worship gathering, and we hope that you will find it encouraging, challenging, and helpful. If you have any questions or would like more information about Grace Church of Ocala, please visit our home on the web, ocalagrace.org. How many of you guys have ever been a part of a wedding? Like most of us have been married, right? But but how many have been in the wedding party? Show of hands. Okay. What do they do? Normally, it's like the night before the wedding. They do this thing where you, you, you get together, you do something, you have dinner. What do you? What do they do? The rehearsal dinner. Is the rehearsal dinner super fun? <laughs> why not? Yeah. Why not? Remember, your wife is right next to you. (laughs) Robbie's never going to speak up again. It's stressful, right? I got you, buddy. Don't worry about it. Yeah, everybody's got opinions. Everyone's got ideas. And, oh, you know, I had this grand idea that this is how we would walk in. or And now all of a sudden we get to where we're going to do it. And that doesn't work at all. And now we got to change everything. And the, the flower girl does this. And the flower boy or the ring boy, whatever they call him, is all over the place. And it's a stressful thing, right? Yeah, most definitely, right? It's, it's stressful because... We're involved, and it's stressful because everyone has their own ideas and their own wants and their own things, and they're, they're trying to help. They're doing it. They're, they, they have their own sin, and they're practicing for this wedding that isn't about them. It's about those that are going to get married, and we're going to talk today about God and how we're going to worship him and the, 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 literally the finale of the story, the end of the story we're going to get a glimpse of today. And we're going to see real worship. Now, don't, don't misunderstand me. What we're doing today is real worship. The problem is, is there's sin involved, too. We have our own sin that we brought to the room this morning. We have our own issues, we have our own agendas, we have our own stuff. And the problem is, that gets involved and the worship is still worship and God is still God and he does amazing things, but it's not the worship that we're going to be talking about this morning. The worship we're going to be talking about that God shows us is the worship without sin. The end. When we're as we were called to be, holy as I am holy. And we get to worship God like we were made to. And he says, he gives us all of this background. And we read in Revelation a little bit of what that looks like. But then a book that was written so far before that gives us very similar notations about what God plans on doing. It's really exciting. So we understand the background of Zechariah. Everyone that's in this room has pretty much heard what was going on. Remember that they were rebuilding the temple. And then they got into their own stuff and wanted to do their own thing. And then God sent Zechariah, this prophet, to speak into their lives and to point them back to who he was. And to tell them, it's not about you, it's about me, and this is how you will build my temple. Follow me. And there's this whole idea that we've been playing with for weeks now of 
this chapter, the next chapter of your life. You've given your life over to God. You're now a follower of Christ. You are different than what you were before. What does that look like? Now we get to see the final chapter. And the final chapter is all about Jesus reigning and his people worshiping. That's what it's about. Spoiler alert. The final chapter of all mankind, all universe kind, all everything is about Jesus reigning over the universe and us responding in his holiness and seeing who he is and worshiping him. That's it. There's no grand little truth that we can just, you know, kind of, no, no cleverness. It's just God. And that's just enough. And we don't have sin and therefore we can see him and be in his presence and really worship him. And we can't imagine what that's like. We get to read about it, but we really can't imagine what that's like because, again, we bring our own baggage. We bring our own stuff. So what do you say we jump into this? Zechariah chapter 14. We're going to begin with the first three verses. They read this way. Behold, a day is coming for the Lord when the spoil taken from you will be divided in your midst. For I will gather all the nations against Jerusalem to battle and the city shall be taken and the houses plundered and the women raped. Half of the city shall go out into exile, but the rest of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Then the Lord will go out and fight against those nations as when he fights on the, on the day of battle. That doesn't sound like the beginning of worship, does it? That sounds horrific, because it is. Remember the context of what we're talking about. God is calling his people, Israel, back to himself. That's what he's doing here. So when we begin Zechariah 14, remember Jesus had entered in. They saw Jesus, the one whom they pierced. And once they saw Jesus... They were overcome because they knew who he was and they didn't think about, look at how holy God is. What they thought about is, look at how busted I am. And they were hung up in their own stuff and their own sin. And God sent to them a spirit of grace and mercy. And they began to understand who this Jesus is. That's what we're talking about. But God is drawing them to himself and they have very hard hearts and they've led very long lives of dealing with themselves and them being the king of their own world. And therefore, it's really hard to draw those people to himself. These first three verses, they give us a blueprint. That's the Batmobile because the Batmobile is awesome. It's a blueprint for the Batmobile. Here's the point, though. The, the point's pretty basic. The way Jesus calls people to himself in the final chapter is no different than the previous ones. Now, we've seen this principle throughout this book before. This isn't new. God calling people to himself is the same in Revelation at the end of the time as it is to Adam, Eve, Abraham, Moses, all of these people throughout time, me, the pattern is the same. The blueprint is the same. But what's the blueprint? It's that he brings people through pain and heartache. Because most times that's what's required to get our attention. Now, if you're a person in this room who can say that God called you to himself and there was no pain involved, he revealed himself to you and you said, I, well, I get it. You're God. I'm going to follow you. 
applause all the way around because a lot more mature than me. Took a lot more than that in my life. It took a lot more than that in many of the people's lives whom I've met. The blueprint for salvation, because that's what we're talking about. We're talking about God saving his people. And it's the same for us, the way he saved us, bringing us through just absolute muck. Terrible, terrible sin. Struggle, hurt, pain, poor relationships. Fill in the blank with whatever we're talking about. How does he do it for Israel? He raises up the world against them. Did you see that? The entire world raises up to fight Israel. That's the battle in Revelation. That's what we're talking about. All the nations around have surrounded Israel. They're coming in to fight. Think Mount Carmel. Think the Valley of Armageddon. Okay, this is the end of times we're talking about here. And Israel, a people who have looked at Jesus and said no, are now huddled together not knowing what to do. Do you see the pain he's pulling them through? The scale is grander, but it's the same in your life. It's the same thing. Many of us didn't take God seriously until he allowed serious pain in our life. So check yourself real quick. How how are you with this whole idea of God's blueprint? First off, have you seen it in your life? If you have, have you acknowledged who God is? Have you decided to follow him? Maybe, maybe you have, and that's awesome. Best decision you've ever made in your life. Okay, so now you've done that. But now, are you just walking on your own? Are you just doing your own thing? Are you more about yourself than you are about God? Because you know what he does? He goes back to step one. He'll take you more through more pain and more heartache, and the pattern is the same, to draw you back to himself. Not because he wants to hurt you. Remember, we've heard this before. His goal is not your death, it's your redemption. His goal is for you to follow him. And that's what he's doing through Israel. And it took the world to get their attention. It says in verse 3, Then the Lord will go out and fight those nations. He creates a battle so big that only he can win. And you see that over and over again too. Let's jump to these next few verses. This is verses 4 through 8. On that day he shall stand on the Mount of Olives that lies between Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives shall be split in two from east to west by a very wide valley. So that one half of the mount shall move northward and the other half southward. And you shall flee to the valley of my mountains. For the valley of the mountains shall reach to us all. And you shall flee as you fled from the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah. Then the Lord my God will come, and all the holy ones with him. That's us, by the way. And on that day there shall be no light, cold, or frost. And there shall be a unique day which is known to the Lord, neither day nor night. But in evening time there shall be light. On that day, living waters shall flow out from Jerusalem, half of them to the eastern sea and half of them to the western sea. It shall continue in summer as in winter. Pause for a second and realize that the God of the universe split a mountain. 
That's what we're talking about here. So he's drawing his people to himself. They've huddled in Jerusalem. They've huddled in Israel, a very, very small country. I mean, super small, okay? Small enough where I can walk across it, right? Not quickly, but I could. Small country. They've huddled together. And the image is the God of the universe, Jesus, coming down and standing on the Mount of Olives and the mountain splitting. First, if that's true, we can stop right here and that changes your Monday. Your Monday cannot be different if God can split a mountain. Just, just seriously, just think about that for a second. But in all the looking at God, which is the most important part of this, don't miss what they did. Did you see it? I know it's silly, but that's what they did. They ran. I call this the run, force, run principle. The initial reaction to pain is to run from it. Jesus puts us in the pain so that we desire relief that only he can offer. The entire world is risen up against them. They're huddled into a small spot. God shows himself powerful. And what do they do? They run. He splits a mountain and they run between it. They're not running toward him. They're running away. He has brought pain into their life. Think the blueprint. It's there. He's trying to draw them to himself so that they can worship as he has called them to. Remember, he's reigning and it's us worshiping him, but we're not there yet. They run right through it. What happens is, is that Jesus offers relief from the pain because he's the only one that can claim control of the world. That's the Mount of Olives. When you hear Mount of Olives, think, remember the Garden of Gethsemane? The night Jesus gets arrested? It's right there. That's at the base of the Mount of Olives. The Mount of Olives was where they would walk over, they would come down the mountain, and if you read some of the Psalms, they would sing as they're coming down to worship God in the Feast of Booths, and the different, the different uh, feasts that they would have. Okay? This is not small. He split it open, and they've ran. He's brought them through pain. He's following his blueprint that's very clear. And their response is not to look up at God, the only one that can offer them relief. Their response is to bolt. Do you remember what Jenny told Forrest when he was going to Vietnam? Anybody? Remember the advice that she gave him? Well, kind of. It's a good guess. She said, I love this movie, by the way. Just watched it recently. She said, if you ever get in trouble, you run. You run, Forrest. And that's what he had done earlier in the movie, right? Now, here's the interesting theme of her life. You look back through that movie, that's what she does over and over and over and over again throughout that movie. And every time she runs, she finds herself in a worse situation than she was before. Run. When it gets hard, run. Get away. And our initial reaction to that pain is not to deal with it. It's not to seek reconciliation. It's not to have hard conversations. It's to run. And it does not lead to good things. 
They're running right past the God who created them, the God who loved them enough to allow pain in their life. They're running away. We do it all the time. This is not abnormal. God wants us to take the pain to him because he's the one who's allowed it in our lives. We were not made to be able to deal with it. That whole idea of God doesn't give you more than you can handle is a crock of you know what? It's not true. He gives you enough for you to handle, for you to hit your knees and say, God, I got nothing. I need you to wake up in the morning. That's what the point is. The point isn't your self-sufficiency and your strength and your greatness and how good you are. The point is all of those things attributed to him. How great he is, how much I need him. That's what the point of it all is. And running and running and running only leads to more trouble. He's calling them to himself, and he split a mountain. We're going to continue now in verses 9 through 11. It says, And the Lord will be king over the earth. On that day, the Lord will be one, and his name one. The whole land shall be turned into a plain from Geba to Ramon south to Jerusalem. But Jerusalem shall remain aloft on its site from the gate of Benjamin to the place of the former gate, to the corner gate, and from the tower of Hanel to the king's wine presses. And it shall be inhabited, for there shall never again be a decree of utter destruction. Jerusalem shall dwell in security. Does that sound like what we read this morning? From Revelation, New Jerusalem, and security. If any of you guys know anything about Jerusalem, security is not the word you'd use. Security might be the word you use to get into every place, but as a, as a city, it is not secure. As a city, it's incredibly volatile. It's a hotbed, and there's been, it's, it's been probably the most contested piece of land in the history of the world. I don't think that that's, that's a crazy statement. But he's going to make it the most secure. And he's going to do that because verse 9. And the Lord will be king over all the earth. On that day the Lord will be one and his name one. The whole land shall be turned into a plain. The principle is that all rise. In the final chapter, Jesus is recognized finally as the king over all. God has removed all false religion. Remember, we covered that last week. There is none to compete with Jesus. In our lives, this is shown when we mature and we respect Jesus for who he is. Because here's the thing. This is really hard to apply to our life. We're not there. But the way that it shows itself is when we mature in Christ and we realize who Jesus is and that relationship becomes more and more real. And then we start to remove the other pieces that we've added to our lives, those other idols, all that false worship stuff. And God removes it. He removes it. He pulls us closer to himself. And when God is involved, we get up. Miss Sue, I don't mean to put you on the spot, but... This kind of fits. <laughs> you walk into a courtroom, what happens? If you don't mind me asking, why is that? Did you hear it? God is involved. 
we respond in respect because of the job, because of who he is. It's God. (laughs) And what he's doing here is for the first time, the world is acknowledging that he is the king of everything. There's no more competition. There's no more false religion. There's no more wickedness that's been allowed in the world. It's all Jesus. It's been a really long time coming. And it just so happened that that's a picture of Tom Hanks from another Tom Hanks movie that wasn't intentional. But I just thought that was kind of funny. I wanted to point that out. Tom Hanks has done more movies than everyone, so there's that. But the chapter doesn't stop there. Let's read verses 12 through 15. And this shall be the plague with which the Lord will strike all the peoples that wage war against Jerusalem. Their flesh will rot and they will still they will and while they are still standing on their feet, their eyes will rot in their sockets and their tongues will rot in their mouths. And on that day a great panic from the Lord shall fall on them, so that each will seize the hand of another, and the hand of one will be raised against the hand of the other. Even Judah will fight at Jerusalem, and the wealth of all the surrounding nations shall be collected, gold, silver, and garments in great abundance. And a plague like this plague shall fall on the horses, the mules, the camels, the donkeys, and whatever beasts may be in those camps. This is a very hard truth, but it's justice. The final chapter will include justice for God's people. Those that have stood against them, they're going to be dealt with. But here's the hard part, guys. Don't miss this, please. In our lives, those that deny Jesus, they'll see the same end, but we used to be them. If you don't decide to follow Christ, he will give you what you ask for. And the world is receiving that justice. The fairness. It's reasonable. It's incredibly hard. The point of justice is balance. It's fairness. God in the final chapter brings about justice by allowing those that declined him to have what they want. Not him. The problem is they cannot pay for their own sin. Not and still live. It's horrible. This is not a principle that a believer in Jesus goes, yeah, God, getting them. Because if, if you've thought about it, you know that that's you. You know that, I know that that's me. I know that because of my sin and because of my destruction and my deciding not to follow God, that's why he had to die. He had to pay for the sins of the world. Had to is the wrong word. He chose to, but the reason that it was needed was because of my sin. And he died for it so that I wouldn't have to. But if you don't acknowledge that incredible gift, you will die for it. It is just and hard. And, and there's no other way to say that. But he's making right the world. 
How does that change your interaction with that person on Monday? Think about it. How does that change your interaction with the person who just won't listen? You've prayed, you've talked to them, you've poured your heart out to them, but they're just obstinate and will not listen to what God has for them. What it should do is spur you on further to hope for them. Because the most obstinate, boneheaded, disrespectful one, I know I was up there. I may not have been the first number one draft pick, but I was in the first round. I was that guy, man. I totally was. God saved me anyway. Almost done. Verses 16 through 21 read this way. Then everyone who survives all of all the nations that have come across, come against Jerusalem, shall go up year after year to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, and keep the feast of booths. Remember, we read this earlier. And if any of the families of the earth do not go up to Jerusalem to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, there will be no rain on them. And if the family of Egypt does not go up and present themselves, then on them there shall be no rain, and there shall be the plague on which the Lord afflicts the nations that go up to the east of the Feast of Booths. This shall be the punishment to Egypt and the punishment to all the nations that do not go up to keep the Feast of Booths. And on that day there shall be inscribed on the bells of the horses, Holy to the Lord." And the pots in the house of the Lord shall be as the bowls before the altar. And every pot in Jerusalem and Judah shall be holy to the Lord of hosts. So that all who sacrifice may come and take them and boil the meat of the sacrifice in them. And there shall no longer be a traitor in the house of the Lord of hosts on that day. What we get a picture of here is worship. And it's worship that involves no sin. It's worship after redemption. And the point is that the final chapter ends with God's people worshiping him due to his holiness. Everything's been taken care of. The God of justice has rained down his justice. And what is left are those that love him. Those that see him for who he really is. And we all sit around and just sing kumbaya, right? No, we have the Feast of Booths right now. What the heck? I thought heaven was just like chilling in a recliner. Whoa. You mean to tell me that maybe in this whole millennial kingdom, whatever happens in, in the future, which we don't quite understand, but a lot of people think they know to a T, whatever's going on in all this, you mean to tell me that we might actually have a party, a feast? And build a tent and live in a tent? I don't want to camp in heaven. I want to have a sweet recliner and just chill out. But it's not about me. It's not even about me after he's paid for my sin and I've died. It's not even about me. It's still about him. And he's, what he's doing is, is he's calling us to remember how not only did he pull his people out of Egypt, right? He pulled them out of Egypt. That's why they celebrate the Feast of Booths. So they pulled out of Egypt. They said, okay, look what I've done. I built a nation out of you. Now remember me. 
by going in and having these tents and having these feasts. Now what he says is, I've pulled you from death to life. I've brought you on board. I've literally given you life. And you know what? Camp and remember what I've done. Worship me. I am the ruler. I reign. I am God. See me for who I really am and worship me. Because that's what we were made to do. It's incredible. This is the culmination of many prophecies and promises that God has made to his people throughout all of history. He talked about in Joshua to go in and take the people out of the land of Canaan. Some of your translations say Canaan. And they say in that last verse that there's, yeah, you see it, right? That there will be no more Canaanites in the land. Miss Deb, how long ago was Joshua? Like a long time ago, right? Long, long time ago was Joshua, and they were told, get all the people out of the land of, of Israel. God's people, I have selected you. I have saved you. You get to worship me. You are my people. I am your God. And they never got it right until there. Do you see it? The end of time is when it's gotten right. There'll be no more traitor in the house of God. Worshiping God side by side, loving the Father, seeing Jesus, seeing what he's done, all of it with a true focus on who God is. The ruler of everything. And we worship him. It's incredible. Absolutely incredible. Our worship gatherings, what we're doing right now, we're basically practicing for worshiping God later. Now again, that is not demeaning what we're doing. It's absolutely important. It's key. It's what God's called us to do. But we're preparing ourselves for what worship will look like later on. And it's incredible. So, again, this is tough to apply to the life of a person living in Marion County. You're, you're not in Jerusalem. Many of us will never go. You, you don't see Jesus standing on a mountain. The mountain's not split. You're going to work on Monday. So, seriously, what do we do with this? How do we take it and actually apply it to our lives? Here are our obedience and action steps. First, with one another. Remember, this is within the body. The first one is pray for the body to be reminded daily of Christ's place as king over all, including our lives. Just because he hasn't returned does not mean he's still not king. He is the king. He's just not here. Pray for those within the body to be reminded of that every day. He is the king of all, including me. Next, ask a member of the body this week who they're being called to reach and how that's going. I don't know if you've noticed, but that's been a regular one every single week. It's there because we're called to reach out to the community, as we're going to read later on in Matthew. Finally, pray for our corporate worship time. Pray that God would continue to move through it. We can fake a lot of stuff, guys. We can come together and put on a show. We could have a Bible study that has nothing to do with God and we can just hang out. But pray that we continue to submit ourselves to God and that he continues to move and soften our hearts towards him. What about the community? How does this work itself out there? 
Walk in your community as one who knows the time is ticking and there will be a point of no return. I don't know if Jesus is going to return today. I highly doubt that he'll return in my lifetime. But I do know that my lifetime will end. I do know that at one point I will die. You will die. It will happen. The people you work with, it will happen. The people you see, it will happen. Interact with them with the love and mercy that he has shown you. And see how that affects the relationship. Pray about how God's working his blueprint on their lives. Okay? We talked a little bit about this last week. But think through and pray through, God, that person who you laid on my heart, where are they at in the blueprint? What's going on in their life? What, what are you hitting them with to get their attention? How can I interact with them? How can I offer to pray for them? How can I talk with them? Because I know that you're working because you're you. Ask God about that. He will answer you. And it might get uncomfortable because then you have to have conversations with people that are personal. And all the rest, everyone at one point just kind of goes, we don't want to do that. We're kind of supposed to, so we should do that. Finally, be a follower of Jesus in your community this week. People are running from God. Show them where to run. How many times have you talked to somebody and you know they're running from God? You see the crazy circumstances in their life. You see the consequences of their choices. You see the frustration, the hurt, the sadness, the pain. You see all of it. And you offer an I'm sorry. And you offer a shoulder to cry on. That's good. Not, de- not, not degrading that. How often are we turning them to Christ? How often are we telling them to stop running? Stop running. It's going to get worse. Turn to Jesus. He's the only one that can fix it. We can offer a shoulder to cry on. We can be empathetic. We can be there for someone. We can, we can even do physical things of going and, and hanging out and doing stuff. But he's the only one that saves. He's the only one that saves. Remember, finally, the final chapter is all about Jesus reigning and his people worshiping. The wedding hasn't happened yet. Jesus hasn't returned. He hasn't taken his bride. We're not in the revelation time that we've read through. We're in the rehearsal dinner. That's where we are. And that can get frustrating and stressful because we all have our ideas and what we want to do. We all have our own sin. But you know what we can do? We can practice. We can be ready. We can know that that final chapter is coming. And when it comes, we can help guide people to who Jesus really is. That's what we're here for. Thanks again for listening. If you have any questions or would like more information about Grace Church of Ocala or the sermon you just heard, please visit our home on the web, ocalagrace.org.